Hello everyone, I am Brennan Sahajan and I tend bar at Washington State's best beer bar, the Manitou Tap House. I decided to make a podcast because the regular customers who come in are the most eclectic group of people I have ever met. And I want all of you to know the perspective and stories from the people from my bar. My guest today is an incredible woman who is a professor in the philosophy department at Gonzaga University. She teaches business ethics. She has been a longtime regular at my bar, and I've had many great conversations with her. I hope all of you enjoy this one. Here is Adrian Lighthouser. We're on. Um, so first and foremost, I just want to say thank you for doing this because I appreciate your time, and I know that time is valuable. Um, so thank you. Great. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you are too. And let's just dive in. The first question is a doozy. Um, who are you? Oh yeah, and that is a doozy. <laughs> it is. And what led you to be that person? Oh my gosh. Um, wow. That's a, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I think of myself in some different roles. Um, so I'm a let's spouse. Yeah. I'm a spouse. Um, I'm a sister. Mm-hmm. I'm a daughter. Uh, I'm a friend, uh, I'm a teacher and a student, mm-hmm. importantly both. Um, I am a fighter um, for myself, but more so for others. Mm. Um, and I think that that sort of fits into all those other roles as well. Cool. It's an important piece. Um, I'm, I'm surprisingly uh, incredibly introverted. Uh, and, uh, Why is that surprising? I, you know, people, well, I, I tend to have a lot of social anxiety. Mm-hmm. And people tend to be surprised by that, given uh, my chosen profession is to stand up in front of classrooms of people and oh, talk to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, that, that tends to be surprising, but um, I tend to be committed uh, to interacting with people when I choose to do that mm-hmm. uh, and then go and recover back at home. Um, um, I, yeah, I'm, similar? I'm very similar. Yeah. <laughs> and you're a, wow, bartender, that must be really hard. Well, I, I mean, I've, uh, on all the Myers-Briggs things, I, it's always an I. As much as, even when I try to, like, <laughs> lie about it and think, you know. <laughs> like what it should, how you should answer. It say, mm, but it always ends up, oh, yeah. and it always ends up the same thing, which is totally weird because whatever. But, yeah, I am, I'm definitely an I. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but. I want more than that. Okay. I think that's, uh, I want to know about like the voice inside your head that who you are more than just, because I don't think that you're thinking when you're talking to yourself, talking yourself out of a situation, talking yourself off of the ledge or whatever, you're not saying I'm, I'm a daughter, I'm a spouse, I'm... Well, I I would say a couple. You're a fighter, get out of here, Yeah. whatever. I think that there are a couple that fit into that pretty well. Um, uh, Myself as a daughter is super important to me, uh, and and that does hold more meaning than than just the the title daughter. Um, My mom uh, had brain cancer and Mm. passed away before I was 30, and I was her primary caregiver. So that's really carried with me. And, and, um, her, um, she was a fighter and she was a mama bear and took care of her family. Um, and, uh, seeing her work hard, she's a full-time, um, uh, nursing supervisor for Deacon at Deaconess, 
was there for over 30 years. Um, she worked really hard, uh, but also took advantage of, of everything she could along the way as far as um, enjoying herself, yeah. um, even though I come from a very working class family, so we didn't have a lot of money to do things. But if, it, but if she was given the opportunity, she took the opportunity. Yeah. Um, and when she was diagnosed, she was graceful enough to let my sister and I go into her counseling sessions with her, wow. um, which really helped um, us better understand where she was. Because of course, you think when you're diagnosed with something that has a prognosis of 12 months or less, that you're just like, what am I going to do in that time? What do I want to accomplish? Yeah. And we certainly felt that way for her. Like we wanted her to yeah. go on every adventure she wanted to. And she was incredibly calm hmm. uh, about it. And Felt like she had no regrets. She had taken the opportunity to do the things that she wanted to do along the way um, and and loved her work, cared a lot about working uh, and, and her patients. Um, and so for her, she, even though she was sad, her life was ending early. She was only 54 when she was diagnosed. Oh, um, she was okay with what she had done. Hmm. So being able to, um, I was much closer with my dad growing up than my mom. Uh, he was the fun guy. Uh, and, and so the development of me learning about my mom um, when I was in high school and in my 20s and getting to know her really well and then experiencing losing her, um, and again, as the primary caregiver, so I spent a lot of time with her, um, that role of daughter uh, comes with a lot of obligations. Yeah for how I think about how I live my life. So it is sort of a simple label, but it's a meaningful one. That one's particularly meaningful for me. Awesome. Well, I mean, that's what I wanted to hear. So, <laughs> um, and I guess that's how, what led you to be that person. Um, any, I mean, do you have any other things that you, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious. Well, I, it seems like your, your mom is like a huge um, motivation and, inspiration which is another mm -hmm. question on here um yeah that's a big part of it i'd also say uh you know i grew up uh my my parents again both working class my dad was a welder my mom was a nurse mm -hmm. um both were born in spokane as well uh so uh very blue collar family um but uh uh blue collar family living in the spokane valley with definite hippie values mm. Um, so I grew up, uh, talking around the kitchen table around, po about politics sure. and about issues and arguing about things. And did you go to high school in the Valley? I did. I went oh. to Central Valley. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. oh, right on. Yep. Um, and so that certainly played a big role at a very early age. Um, it, they were adult conversations. They were never talking down to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and they were conversations about justice. And really? about being concerned awesome. about people who are vulnerable or marginalized. Mm -hmm. um, and although I didn't know it at the time, um, I had I had a lot of power because I had a lot of privilege being a, a white middle class person. Um, so I was able to uh, argue in different ways in high school and even outside of high school um, that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do otherwise. And that was encouraged by my parents. Yeah, awesome. So I, that was a, that was a, another sort of big, um, as far as what kind of fighter I am, what things I'm most concerned about, mm. um, that certainly comes from those early discussions. Awesome. Well, right on. Um, well, 
that doesn't really transition into my next question. But, <laughs> just, What's the next question? Let's see. Maybe we, maybe we can make it work. <clears throat> um, what is worth dying for? And do any causes hold weight to do so? I think, I mean, just broadly, yes, lots of causes um, require that kind of sacrifice. Uh, uh, whether I'm brave enough to do it or not, I'm, I'm not sure. I yeah. guess I haven't been tested quite in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I mean, caring for people who are the most vulnerable certainly, um, requires being a willingness to put your life on the line, thinking about the people who are doing protests at the border and things, things yeah. of that nature. And that's, you know, very real people being arrested, um, environmental issues where people are just not listening and, and the work that's being done to, to try to get people to pay attention. Um, I'm, uh, I mean, this fits in. I, the, I'm, I'm very, uh, you know, people use the term social justice warrior as a bad thing. And, I have a hard time seeing it as a bad thing. That's that's certainly uh, where my heart is, and and I believe strongly um, that it needs that there are many different ways that you can respond to things, and that um, protest and putting yourself in harm's way is one of those ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, that also has to include work on policy at policy levels, work in the government work on getting people access to voting. Um, there's academic research. So there's a lot of different places where people put their energies, but I really think all of them are needed yeah. to, to move the dial. Um, I'm uh, in Spokane. Um, I'm part of the Community Housing and Human Services. I'm the chair of the board okay. um, and chair of the Affordable Housing Committee. Oh, so awesome. so I'm particularly concerned about... Ben Stockard not being your mayor? Well, yeah, um, <laughs> there was that uh, I'm not surprised at all I've been I'm from Spokane right I'm not surprised <laughs> I, I had no that was no no surprise I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> that things switched and Brienne may um, got council president mm. um, so essentially all this work and all this money uh, and we end up with the same dynamic we had before um, I've been I'm hopeful that Nadine is is willing to learn um, because she said some things on the campaign trail that didn't indicate a uh, very clear understanding of things like where the money comes from and mm-hmm. the strings attached to it. So, you know, HUD uh, focuses on housing first. Yeah. You can't take HUD money and then be anti-housing first. That just doesn't work. Yeah. So so I'm, I'm hopeful um, that she'll see uh, the wisdom and the, the staff people. I, you know, I've become a really passionate supporter of the staff, um, especially in the Division of Community Housing and Human Services. Um, they bear uh, a lot of um, public scrutiny and outcry uh, for decisions that often their hands are tied and they're forced to make and, and they would prefer a better decision. Uh, but to a person, they're passionate about caring for um, people experiencing homelessness, um, people uh, who are part of the population who may be um, is near homelessness, one pay, one um, medical bill or, yeah. you know, a few days off or, you know, um, people that are experiencing that low income, they're, they're super passionate about it. And they're, um, they care so much for the people of Spokane that they're willing to put themselves uh, out there in a, in a way that they often can't respond mm-hmm. because the, the city has to have an official response. And so as individuals, they can't, and yet they're uh, having to deal with a lot of that. So, um, 
they're pretty great people and I'm hoping that she'll listen to them. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I mean, that's, that's one, hmm. Well, I mean, I think that is a very good cause. I don't know. I don't know about dying for that cause, but um, that definitely holds weight. Um, I don't know. I mean, so you do think that things are worth dying for? Do, is there? Can, could you imagine a situation? I think like the, the current situation with children being stripped away from migrant children, immigrant children being stripped, stripped away from their families, hmm. certainly. Um I think um, some of the uh, immediate environmental degradation causes, you know, thinking about the pipeline, for example, um, going through uh, not just sacred lands, but going through, uh, um, which is important in itself. Um, Also, that they're um, lands that are important for the broader ecosystem. Um, and, And so I think that that would be a cause as well. Wow. I mean, dang, I don't know, you don't put a lot of weight on life then, do you? Um, I do put a lot of weight on life. I do take that really seriously when I say that. Huh. Uh, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I don't say those things lightly. Um, but I think, I think if you're at all inspired or hopeful for the future, mm-hmm. you might need to at least be willing to um, recognize that your gift might need to be a sacrifice. Dang. Yeah, I mean... I mean, you I, ask these I, questions. I, You're no, asking I, the super deep oh, questions. No, I, I know, but I, you, you're kind of the first person that has, has um, basically said that, yeah, I would throw my life in the way of many different things. Um, that, and especially since you don't have children, everybody else that has children, that's the first thing that they say. Um, which, of course, I hope, you know, I hope that's what they say. I think it's so but, hard. I don't know. This is totally off. This is kind of off topic, but it just reminds me. I was in this book club and we were reading, um, I can't remember the book, but it was a book that was around World War II mm-hmm. and it was a village. And they went along with what was happening with the Nazism because they had children. Right. They mm. they went along to protect their families and, and their well-being. Um, and I remember a number of the women in the book club said, oh, I would have stood up. And I was the only woman in the book club that didn't have kids. And, you know, mm. I would have stood up and I would have fought back. And I, and I kept saying, would you really? Yeah. Um, you know, because when you when you have your own kids to take care of and, and we don't know until we're, we're faced with that. And I don't know. I would like to think that I would stand up for these things. Uh, but I haven't flown down to the border yeah. to respond to those, right? So there's, I feel like there is a difference between what we would hope to do when faced with it immediately um, and, and what we might actually do, um, and what, but what I think is right to do. Right. Oh, totally. No, I'm with you. And, I mean, that's, that's the honest truth. And, that, I mean, that, that comes, that's the same thing with children, too. I don't know what I would do if it really came down to it. Hopefully I wouldn't freeze up and, you know, I would throw myself in front of the bus, mm-hmm. and, you know. Um, I don't know. I, that's How can you say? Mm-hmm. Uh, but awesome. Those were that. I, I love your responses. Um, well, I, maybe I should, I think, 
think I might need to change my questions around. Uh-oh. Because um, I think I should have my third question come second because it kind of comes, it seems like, now that, you know, I've interviewed several people, um, the third question is where does your inspiration come from? And I think that probably ties in a little more to uh, the first question than the dying question. Yeah. I'm just thinking out loud. But anyway, yeah, so where, where does your inspiration come from? Well, I think I, I talked about it a little bit, just sort of being raised with the perspective of very um, uh, social justice orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom came from a pretty conservative family. Um, and when I look back, it's sort of surprising how she let me be. I mean, it was... Um, when I was in high school, it was the early 90s, late 80s. And so mm-hmm. I had half my head shaved. She would shave it for me before gymnastics meets. So, I mean, I was, you know, I would wear, I was. I, you, you did gymnastics? Yeah, I was a gymnast. Uh, yeah. 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 I'm, my my wife was a gymnast at CV too. Oh, and, funny. And Kim Brunel's good friend of ours. Oh, okay. But, yeah, okay. I was a competitive club gymnast yeah. up through middle school and then did high school gymnastics because there was Same no way. My wife. Oh, funny. Yeah. Awesome. What year was she? She graduated in 2001. Oh, gosh, I forgot how long. Kim was there a long time. Yes, she was. <laughs> um, yeah. And, yeah, and Jenny coached with her a little bit after she graduated. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's great. But, yeah, Well, and she's, she's in the Hall of Fame for gymnastics coaching too so well she's i mean yeah gosh she was amazing she was she did she i, I actually was team. hoping to get her job when she retired but i'm not a woman so it didn't work out <laughs> but we always had male assistant coaches interestingly well, I, I didn't mean specifically gymnastics but oh. her pe teaching yeah oh that's was, right that's yeah. right because i her last year i was her primary sub the whole time and she was yeah. trying to get me in there, but it didn't work out. I had this one judge who used to count me down for my hair being shaved because it was a distraction. So he would take a tenth off. You gotta be kidding! No, me. no, yeah. So because I had my, I had, I had had half my um, head shaved, but then I had a ponytail, mm-hmm. um, and then I had a friend, uh, a gymnast who died um, with a sl- in a sledding accident when oh, I was geez. sixteen, and so I would put her initials into <laughs> I'd put her initials in b- before each meet but there's this one there's this one judge who did not like me at all what a bummer anywho yeah. you know those things happen <laughs> okay. <laughs> um yeah. okay, I kind of forgot oh the talking about yeah, yeah yeah so they you know and I was um I was editor of newspaper and yearbook and I was allowed to write editorials and I wrote editorials on homelessness and, and gay rights at the time, you know, things, things like that. I was given a lot of freedom and encouragement to pursue those things. Hmm. Um, which was, you know, that certainly gave me the background. Um, so it's hard for me to think about what inspired me because it was just a part of our family that we talked about, um, inequality, uh, and those sorts of things. Uh, um, so those were always certainly things that I was thinking about without really recognizing how well off I was, right? Like I was this sort of punk kid who was like, oh, the world's out to get me. And there I was able to express myself in any way I felt like with no repercussions. So maybe it wasn't so bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then uh, I think... Um, I went to school down in Oregon for a while and then I came up and through a, a long story that's not worth 
explaining here, I ended up at Gonzaga. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up at Gonzaga when the scholastics were still there. Those are the Jesuits in training. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, oh, they're not there anymore? No, there were only three universities that had them do their undergrad um, degrees. Um, and I was with sort of the last group of them before, because their numbers are dwindling, yeah. before they had to reduce the number of schools no that idea. they go to. Yeah. So, I mean, we still have Jesuits teaching, but we don't have, and we have occasional grad students that come through, but we don't have a group of undergrads. I, I used to play poker with some Jesuit guys that were undergrads. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's just, it's, we don't have the same robust group. Um, and no Interesting. yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, so I, I had I'd found my way to philosophy um, as the area of study I was interested in, which is where they were. I was um, I did not fit in at Gonzaga um, with my by then sort of granola mm-hmm. way of being and working class parents, as I said, and I didn't really fit in with with the demographic at the time, or at least didn't feel like I did. Yeah. I think it was made worse because I had done some um, a couple of years in Oregon, so some of my classes I had to take with freshmen, and that was. Mm-hmm. hard when yeah. you're 2021 20, <laughs> it right, just right. is very different anyway um so but what i ended up doing was becoming very good friends with a lot of the scholastics um because they didn't really fit in with anybody but themselves yeah. either right? Yeah. right um and so i really learned a lot more which i'm not even close to being an expert but i learned a lot more about what it means to be jesuit um and and uh you know thinking about um, accompanying, being with people, not um, doing for or assuming what you need to do to help others, but rather how are you really being standing next to um, uh, people who might be vulnerable or marginalized uh, and, and having that as a primary focus um, when you think about social justice, having that being the primary focus. And, and, and they were just really inspiring men yeah. uh, to be around. Um, so that, I think, uh, also shifted how I thought about things. Hmm. Um, and then like, I mean, I said earlier, certainly my mom and just her way of being in the world and it's, um, uh, a willingness to care, f- to care for people. Cause that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, and that, I mean, all that ties in with, with social justice too. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Oh, right on. Have you ever, have you ever done anything in other countries? I haven't, no. I'm just curious. Yeah, um, no, no. Just because it's, it, like, social justice is just so pronounced, in, or injustice, more like, in other countries. It's just amazing. Well, and I think it is, <clears throat> but I don't think that I'm in a place where I'm equipped to, to do that. Um, and I am... I want to be thoughtful about... Um, social justice vacations, Um, you know, so uh, those, um, I think it can be done right if there's a system in place, but also those people who go for their week and they do good and they feel, you know, they pat themselves on the back and then they come back and there's massive homelessness being experienced in their streets. Um, I think that there is a lot of work to be done uh, in other places. I think there's a lot of work to be done here as well. Um, oh, 100%. I'm, I'm not discounting. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to, yeah, yeah. Had worked with anything in a different, you know, culture. I feel like if I had been, like, for me, things like the Peace Corps, um, I never 
I didn't know enough about it to know if mm. that would have if that would have been something I would have pursued. But talking with people who've done done that, um, that's pretty amazing. So amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, yeah, I know a lot of people who have have done that. Um, all right. Well, do you feel in control of your life? <laughs> well, now that's the one that doesn't transition. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I none of these actually really do very well. It, it, it doesn't matter. So I'm curious what you mean by in control of my life. Um, well, I, it, it could be anything. I... For me personally, I have been in places where I have been were doing certain things or been in a situation where I felt completely out of control, but I was doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I mean, that definitely could be one way that you think about it or really whatever your interpretation is. <laughs> like, I, I, I mean, I have, I have specific ways that I would answer the question because I wrote it and that's what I was thinking about, but you know, I, I want to know. I want to know what's going on inside your head. I think that there's parts of my life that I feel more in control of than I probably ever have. Um, than you ever have? Yeah, because so there was a lot of time that I didn't, that I didn't, that I felt like um, I was reacting mm-hmm. um, and that I didn't always have the tools. I didn't ever have the tools to be certain in how I was reacting. Yeah. Um, so it's just, uh, so that felt um, very out of control. Um, but I think, I think in, um, a lot around my personal life, I feel, uh, more clearly in control of and responsible for, um, the world around me feels more out of control. Yeah. (laughs) Um, which is hard. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is that even though, uh, I feel in control. I'm re- I feel like I'm often still responding to out of control situations or shocking or surprising situations as far as, um, trying to continue to do certain kinds of work, yeah. uh, with, with, uh, crazy kinds of opposition to that work. Um, but I feel that I'm more equipped now, um, and how I react and respond to those things. Mm-hmm. Um, which doesn't mean my life feels totally in control, but I feel a little bit more in control. I feel a little bit more self-directed. Well, um, the, in the second half of that question kind of cuts through. Oh, there was two parts. Well, it's, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And and it, the second part is what like trims up the vagueness of your response. Okay. Like, well, what, what's the thing that holds you down? Like, what is th- that thing that you feel out of control? Yeah, I think, I think change is really slow. Um, I think uh, the last couple of years um, have felt like uh, a gauntlet of bad news and, mm-hmm. and having to having to, this is going to, I'm qualifying it already in my head, but having to face, um, uh, uh, how people really feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the other side of it, it's been the last couple of years, um, has given us the opportunity to see how people really feel. And a lot of it was glossed over in a way that as a, um, white woman, uh, 
I dealt with some of the gender things. Yeah. But as you know, uh, um, other than that, I think that I was like a lot of uh, uh, progressive women who who thought that they understood things um, and realized how little we understood the experiences that that people were continuing to have. Yeah. And the rug has been pulled back um, in a awful oftentimes way, but I think good for us to really be able to have a chance to heal and move forward. Yeah. Um, I feel like, I feel like I, there's, I'm very concerned. I can be very practical. So in general, obviously most of what I was talking about then has to do with things like race and how people really feel about each other and how people feel about, um, the LGBTQ community and, you know, all of those sorts of things. Um, but also really practically, uh, our, our, our beliefs in, um, certain economic systems, um, the way that, um, the role that, uh, business is given in our politics and mm-hmm. not just in the United States, but in other places. And then how that feeds into some of these other issues. Yeah. Um, I feel <laughs> overwhelmed by all of that all of the time. I'm sure. <laughs> well, and, and you teach business ethics. I, I teach right? business ethics. Yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, you're surrounded by it. Yeah. And I have to be, um, I don't, you know, I'm not, obviously it's a capstone course. I'm not teaching, you know, hey, congratulations on your business degree. Here's why it's terrible. Um, And I think that, that, so I think two things have really helped me over the last couple of years. Um, The first is teaching this class. Um, You know, I teach about 250 students a year. Um, And we talk about um, the way that business is a pivotal social institution um, and whatever it impacts, it impacts that impact is amplified, whether it's for good or not good. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we talk about ways in which business can do good and not just individual businesses, but the way that business can change systems and can be a part part of solutions rather than a part of problems. Um, And in doing that and in finding those concrete examples and, you know, those that, um, and hearing from students who have said, uh, I think my favorite thank you card I received from a student was a student who was disillusioned by business and was like, I have to get my degree, but I want to do anything but be in business. And after being in my class, she felt like she um, was empowered to do something differently and to think differently about her role in business. That's awesome. um, yeah, so that has helped, right? Because I see all these uh, things that make me crazy and I'm able to sort of... Um, be constantly thinking about how do I bring up these issues, which are important issues to talk about with students without making them feel bad about their choice to be in business, Um, which, you know, I always say to them, have you asked the English major what they're going to do to make money? Because probably they're going to be employed. They're going to be in business too. (laughs) Um, You know, recognizing we're all in it together, but we can change it. Right. We can change that narrative. It's going to be slow, but we can change it. So I think that that's helped a lot. Um, the other thing that's helped me a lot uh, um, is uh, I've had to step back from it because of some of my other work, but I was uh, us- I was once heavily involved with the Spokane Alliance, um, which is a nonpartisan organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the work of the uh, of IAF, um, uh, in general, across the world, uh, but the Spokane Alliance specifically, uh, in being nonpartisan, in thinking about the world as it is and the world as it should be, and how do we get 
from the world as it is? How do we collectively get to the world as it should be? Um, taking seriously um, that we have no permanent allies and no permanent enemies, that it all comes from building relationships and seeing what can be done with those relationships. Um, that helped a lot uh, in this time of incredible um, partisanship and and polarization. Yeah. To, to see to be reminded and to be heavily engaged in another way. Awesome. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> well, I, I think a lot of like being in control um, has to do with like what you're talking about with change and being able to understand the difference between the things that you can and cannot change and what you can do to do it or not, you know? And if it's worth like, flailing aimlessly when it's something that you can't actually change you know or not um one of the best lessons from the alliance and which what's interesting about the spokane alliance is it fits with um ignatian pedagogy really well as mm -hmm. well um but it's this idea of of you identify this huge problem and you do all this research and and there's a lot of research involved in both and in, in really figuring out what the what the situation is and then you identify a piece of it that's concrete and winnable mm. that you can fight for. Yeah, totally. Um, and you go through that process and win or lose, you engage in a reflection, what went, went well, what didn't, what more, or what's next, right? So it's this idea that you're constantly going through this cycle, but you're just taking the pieces that you can win. Yeah, totally. And timing matters and the research matters and who you're um, collaborating with matters. Um, and the other thing that I think is really helpful about that is remembering to celebrate the wins, even if you didn't win the whole issue. Yeah. What were some of the things that you learned? What were some of the things, what was the new relationship you developed? So um, one thing that the Spokane Alliance won um, was the sick and safe leave in Spokane. They yeah. were behind that big initiative. And, and in doing that, we um, uh, got all sorts of um, unlikely uh, friends. So there was a lot of small business owners, for example, who, who were um, in agreement. So this was that was a huge win. We've had other issues. Um, for example, we did work for a long time around trying to get a diversion facility in Spokane um, to divert people who are experiencing substance use um, uh, or mental health crisis uh, rather than putting them straight to the jail, having a diversion yeah. uh, that links with services and a bed. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, because that's a huge piece, um, because that involves funding from the city and the County. And supposedly it's now at a point where I think that the funding has been promised, but it's very, 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 very slow moving. Um, and it was a couple of years ago that we worked on it. Um, we had a tendency to be, you know, frustrated that we weren't getting the yeses, but what we, what, what it was good to take a, a step back and think about was, Think about all of the um, police officers we brought into the conversation to understand their view, the prosecutors we brought in to understand their view, um, the mental health services mm -hmm. providers. And so what we learned and the relationships we made were so important along the way. Oh, yeah. um, and yeah, just yeah. keeping in mind to celebrate those things too. And I don't yeah. mean like a party with hats necessarily, but acknowledge right. no, I mean, that work yeah. was done, even if the final product didn't get there. Experience is wisdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that that might be a little progressive for Spokane, but man, it's awesome. I, well, know. the we went and visited one in Yakima of all places, so it's no you know, 
There's, um, I don't believe in making the argument. I, I, I should qualify this. There's an argument to be made about cost. Mm-hmm. And there's a reality that reduces the cost significantly to have these sorts of programs. Yeah. Um, I think lives are more valuable than the cost. So even if it's more expensive, it's worth it. But there is this argument that appeals to people who are primarily looking at the cost of things. Yeah, of course. Hmm. Wow. Wow. We are just cruising. <laughs> um, all right. Well, this, this is another odd leap um have you ever done something that's truly wrong and can something be truly oh, i forgot wrong? about this question yes <clears throat> yes and yes oh yeah <laughs> yeah i i i have i do believe that i am not a relativist uh i do believe things can be wrong um and I mean, I'm not going to get into great detail on I, <laughs> things not, yeah, on things that I've done I'm that are wrong. Yeah, no. Right. I mean, I think I think um, being intentionally cruel to another person. Yeah, that seems I, to be the definitive answer. Pretty clear. Um, I think uh, treating someone with indifference, hmm. um, not taking, especially. Um, when you know that they have an interest or they have concerns or they would have a view, but not taking that into consideration. Yeah. Um, not learning from your mistakes, especially when you've harmed somebody. So I recognize that, um, you know, we, we do harms all the time that um, uh, are, are wrong and that the impact is harmful. It hurts somebody. There's an impact that's problematic. Um, often when you call people on that, uh, they get really defensive. Like, that's not what I meant. Right. Um, which is fine. That might not be what you meant, but this was the harm you caused. And so are you willing to listen to somebody telling you about that impact and think about and reflect on, on how you will change things in the future to make it less likely that that's the outcome? Um, I think if you're not willing to do that, I think that that's a wrong. But do you think that, um, I mean, you kind of talk about not being a relativist, but do you think that some of those things have to do with cultural relativism? Like, um, well, how our current society paradigm, I guess, is in the way that the pendulum has really swung, um... I like that's culture. To, you don't think that's culture? No, not in that. Not in the sense of. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, but... it's totally fine. But I, I think you understand where I was. Yeah. Getting. So one of the things that we find uh, when people talk about cultural relativism, uh, as a from a philosophical standpoint. Um, what we learn is that there are actually some themes and there's some misunderstanding with how people exercise those themes. And that's Mm -hmm. where the cultural differences are. Um, marginalization of a population is not part of cultural relativism. I agree. Right. Um, and so, or is not part of the, 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 the main culture, um, in the, in that sense, uh, a marginalization is a marginalization of 
a population that is, that is long harmed is is not okay ever. And I and um, I think that I think that there's a difference between understanding the story of how we got to that point mm-hmm. and whether it's okay that we're at that point, right? And I think sometimes we conflate the two. And uh, I, you know, sure you can explain and justify how how we got to certain places um, to a certain extent, uh, but it's still wrong. Okay. I think it's clearly wrong. All right. I, I, I mean, I was, <clears throat> I was kind of, I was going to go down. I mean, obviously, there's exceptions and things all the time, um, and. I, I just believe, my personally believe that, um, and I, and I believe myself to be pretty progressive, but um, I think that there are some extremists that have really pushing things a little far, um, and and I, I mean. Well, I'm just going to have to give the example. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to need to give the <laughs> yeah, example. I was uh, going to ask. There, I, I heard about a situation in a large business where um, not where they had people on... I don't even know if it's people. It might have been just one person that identified with um, themselves as a furry. I guess that's a thing. And... These are the people that, is it always sexual? That they're sexually attracted to the people in the costumes? I don't know. Costumes? I don't know. But, I mean, they didn't feel that they had a place because of their identification as being a furry. And, and they felt that they were being marginalized. And um, I think that... I 100% believe that we need to. What? We need I don't to have understand. The story people. is suspect. Well, I, it, it, <laughs> and, and really, yeah, I mean, it sounds bizarre. Yeah. But, but there, I, I mean, there are people. So that, did they feel is it wrong to? I mean, are you are you not being respectful and and are you being purposefully? cruel to someone because you be- you don't believe that the thing that they think about is a thing and and that's that's what i mean it's like you're 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 pushing the line too far and you're trying to give yourself like a class or yeah so and when someone is like imposing on you i don't think that that thing is wrong at that point and but uh, if if you think of when why i was talking about cultural relativism is because well maybe it's just like the societal paradigm shift because at one point no one even thought about certain things and now they do and because there was there was carryover um all of a sudden things are wrong Uh, and i don't know i mean i i i believe i believe 100 percent what you are saying but i i just feel like the line is so blurry that it where do you draw the line well, I think blurry lines are fantastic because oh, that's how we figure things out, yeah. right? I mean, that's how we try we we sort through these things. Um, in in that particular example, 
uh, we would need a lot more information. Yeah. Uh, why Why did somebody's extracurricular relationship matter at all in the well, workplace? I don't, even, I, I don't know. I don't n- know enough about this. That, that's what I mean. We need, we need to know more yeah. about right. furries. <laughs> we need right. to know how, how that part of that person's life uh, impacted the workplace, right? Um, right. Uh, cause it's, cause it's hard to, it's hard to make judgments otherwise. Um, I think that there's a danger of going down the slippery slope to the one crazy thing. Yeah. Well, um, I, I when, do, when we're I, talking yeah. about where the line is, but right. I think it's, I mean, it, it's common, but you know, I mean, this is sort of what happens, right? Um, you know, when, 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 if I don't remember if you remember the rhetoric, um, around, uh, gay marriage, um, which is so weird to be able to talk in the past that mm-hmm. like, remember when people were arguing against this. Um, but one of the things they said is what's going to happen next. People are going to want to marry their dogs. Yeah. Right. Um, I and totally maybe somewhere one person did want to, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a danger in us looking at those extreme examples because it can undermine the very real, oh, totally. real ones. Um, and so I, I don't know that that example I don't think it undermines things that might show how gray things are, how, how muddled things are. And I think as, um, I think there's, I feel like there's another question that you talked about. Maybe you talked about hope or you talked about some, but anyway, I I feel like, uh, human beings, um, have a unique ability Mm -hmm. to become better. Yeah. Um, you're, you're talking about the next question. Oh, am I? Yeah. <laughs> is it which, is it the with is, the fancy words in yes, it? Yes, <laughs> it is. And, and, and actually, I think because we're talking about this right now, I think it's a great okay. time to transition. Yeah, into go it. ahead. Um, well, it's what is your opinion about the natural hierarchical order of, in reference to humanity? Um, because that's kind of what we're talking about. In so, do you mean aspects. humans above other things in nature, or what do you mean that's when you not, talk that's about? That's exactly what I meant. But, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that some people would view that question that way depending on whatever they think about all the time what did you mean when you wrote it i i meant a lot of different things with it because there are so many things going on in our society right now um um like specifically talking about the lgbtq um talking about the patriarchy talking about um gender identification all of those things are what I'm talking about. Okay. And and really, like, on a basic level, like, class systems, like, with Marxism or whatever, that, even to that mm-hmm. level. So that's that's what I'm talking about. I, I didn't want to say all of those things in the question, <laughs> so I tried to, like, compound it, and, you know, make it into really complicated wording that anybody could take whatever way they wanted. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, so when I first, I was, I, uh, um, I think when I first took it, I was, I was thinking in terms of humanity, Having uh, over in some way, which I, yeah, which I'm not super, I, uh, uh, so that was an easier answer for me because, um, I think human beings, I don't think the worth is, I don't think there is a, a worthiness. Mm-hmm. So dominion doesn't work or, yeah, yeah. um, uh, but there is agency that's unique to human beings, mm-hmm. um, which which requires obligations. Sure. Uh, and so I think that in 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 so far as you can be an agent and you can be responsible for things, um, 
you have those obligations that you ought to fulfill. Um, that said, thinking in terms of, I think the word that troubles me is natural. Yeah, everybody says that. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Well, that's. I mean, I, I think that's good. It's good that it's good that you word it that way because there is a reality where when you see the same pattern again and again and again, right. um, what else would you call it? Right. Well, right. I, I mean, there I, is a might. Sure. Becomes. Well, I, another part of this was kind of like the Lord of the Rings idea. And, uh, not Rings, Lord of the Flies idea. Oh, <laughs> it's I'm like, sorry. I'm something like, no, no, no. I don't remember this yeah, in Lord no, no, of the no, no. Rings, yeah, but... Yeah, wrong, wrong thing. I meant Lord of the Flies. The Lord of the Flies mentality and, and what happens. I mean, because that, that I think is a very natural, hierarchical thing that happened. And, and um, I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily might... It was, it was just more personality and someone just taking leadership and human beings have a tendency for tribalism Yeah, and and tribalism unchecked is problematic and often leads to that kind of violence. Mm Um, uh, going back to the other way of thinking about it though. And even my other point about being reflection, you know, reflective of your behaviors and things. Um, I do have a belief that we can override those tendencies and therefore should. Um, but certainly I think to sort of this natural part, there, there is, um, there is, a, there is this sense of, of tribalism. Uh, there is, we know, I, I know, and I do work with my students about this, um, how impacted students are by social norms mm-hmm. um, or anybody is by social norms. Um, and this has to do a little bit with that tribalism. Um, we tend to feel very strongly because we're very attached to our own morals mm-hmm. and believe that we would stand up and you know we wouldn't go against those morals in various situations. Right. And yet... There's an awful lot of research does not take much shift in what's considered um, normal and mm-hmm. socially for people to switch. Um, very deeply held beliefs. It's really interesting to see some of this research. Um, and I'm and we look at this right at the beginning of the semester because I used to I used to have um, I didn't used to do this and my students you know they're like we we went to Gonzaga we're great people we'll we'll stick by our morals so I kind of have this. Uh, time period where we're looking at things to say, no, you too will make these ethical mistakes. You too will do, you're as susceptible as the next person to these sorts of things. And one of the most powerful things is fitting in mm-hmm. and being like the people we, we hope to be accepted by. Sure. And it really comes from that tribalism yeah. uh, um, that I think is natural to a certain extent. Um where where tribalism becomes particularly dangerous is where there's real or perceived fear, mm-hmm. um, where there's real or perceived scarcity. And in the United States, we're experiencing um, a, a, a perception of scarcity of jobs. And certainly, um, even though the unemployment is at, what, 50-year lows, um, we find that there's something like 
half of the adult population. So people 24 to I think 50 was the age. My statistics are not quite right, but there's a recent yeah. study. Um, something like 44% are in what's considered low-paying jobs right. with like a median income if oh, you're yeah. working full-time of $12,000, right? So right. a lot of people are employed, but they're employed at not great yeah, jobs. Poverty, yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. So so there is sort of this scarcity experience, yeah. particularly around being able to provide for yourself and your loved ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's being fed by... Um, fear of the other and fear of taking away a certain kind of life that hasn't been around for a long time. But nonetheless, they, um, people have put those things together in a way that makes the worst of tribalism come out. Yeah. And, and so I guess, so maybe I'm not as opposed to the natural as I am hierarchy because I don't think it's a real hierarchy. I think it's, it's just brute force, uh, and violence. Uh, Um, uh, and that doesn't meet, that isn't the majority of the population, uh, that isn't, um, that I have to believe isn't going to win, Mm -hmm. but it's not going to be pretty along the way. Right. Um, well, one of the things, um, I think it was, I feel like his name was Sunstein who, who wrote about this. Um, but he talks about, um, polarization entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and the, you know this goes back to me talking about the alliance and the being able to work in a nonpartisan fashion and what he recognized was that we are more polarized than ever and it's certainly only gotten worse um, since he first did this report um, but that there there are people so that means we're more tribal than ever right yeah. um, but then there are people who have mastered how do you uh, incense those those that are uh, polarized, um, and have learned how to take advantage of that to move things in a certain direction. Mm. Um, and I think, I think we really see that now. I mean, I think, and people express it as why would you vote against your own interests? And it's because, um, those are not the interests that people are being presented with. They, they believe that something else is being threatened. That's more important than, than some of those, some of those issues. Um, and there are people who are fanning those flames. Sure. Um, I don't know. I'm just rambling. I don't know where I'm going with that, except for to say that I do, I I do think that, that, that tribalism exists. I do think that we devolve into it. I do think relationships can change that. The the primary problem with that is relationships always end up being individual. And I think mm. that there are system problems, not that can't just be overcome by individuals yeah, I agree. sorting through things. Uh, so how we overcome it is, is more difficult. Uh, telling each other the other is evil is not going to overcome it for sure. Right. Um, but I don't know that I'm optimistic about, working together versus I don't know, I guess might on the other side being able to have enough in our case votes to change things. Um, some things, some, some forms of tribalism are changed by policy. I mean, the reality is, uh, that things like integrated housing policies, um, led to white riots and massacres, uh, 
Uh, but eventually this forced policy, this forced decision forced certain kinds of, of integration, not nearly to the level that, that we would hope. Um, so I, so I don't know if the solution has to come from a policy level first, or Mm -hmm. if it has to come from a grassroots level first. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Uh, but I know right now what we have are people f- pushing us further and further apart, and yeah. that doesn't seem to be the solution. Right. Well, um, I kind of, as far as policy versus grassroots, I I definitely stand on the grassroots side because um, I think of it as um, a relief and development sort of a situation where if policy... You know, it's like a forest. Um, a lot of times it's an enabling situation instead of anyone having real autonomy and ownership over the situation um, where development is 100% the opposite of that where people have to, they have to have some kind of a, you know, init- initiative and ownership, autonomy of the situation. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I only think of that because of uh, prior experiences that I've had trying to work with people in, in situations that were obvious that they needed desperate help. But how would you go about doing it instead of just handouts or education or whatever? And I always, always believe that education is the, the number one most powerful thing to change anything. But, um, you know implementing it on a on a grand scale is so different uh, but. Uh, yeah I mean I think that the will has to be there I mean it's it's interesting I was I was at a talk uh, earlier this year and and um, the topic was you know how did the particular justices at the time recognizing that same Supreme Court the the way that people become Supreme Court justices mm-hmm. um, ends part you know there is some partisanship to that um how in 1954 in uh brown versus board of education how did that ruling come to be um and it was it was interesting you know people were trying to think about the courage it took those justices um and some of the justices going against the parties that maybe supported them being Mm -hmm. um, put in those positions um but the other side of it was there was a swell of, of grassroots public will yeah. for that change mm-hmm. that um, was pushing numerous court cases up at the time. That was just the one that happened to get there first. Yeah. Um, so there was all sorts of grassroots work being done, all sorts of local work being done as far as local policy making all sorts of lawsuits yeah. that were happening right so it's a combination um, of both. Yeah, yeah yeah and it, ha- and it had to be that that yeah. combination mm-hmm. right they wouldn't have they probably wouldn't have even heard the case right had that not been the had that not been the reality and and, and that if they didn't hear this one there was going to be there's 10 more in the pipeline right they're right. they're they're going to have to rule on it at some point in time um so i think to your point i think it it takes both but Top down by itself, I would agree, isn't likely to make change. That top ground in top down in response to um, some of those other things, I think, can be impactful, um, even if there's a vocal, active minority that opposes it. Right. 
it, it but it takes some moral courage to be able to do that to make that stand hmm. that was awesome okay <laughs> uh, well I, I mean we're we're wrapping this up we're on the last question this is the question that stressed me out oh. <laughs> this is supposed to be the lighthearted. no it's not music is really important to me okay well, which means i i've like failed i tried crowdsourcing this question i you know asked people what do, what do you think and then they'd come up with songs i you, you should ask them what the question is first what's your theme song okay <laughs> <laughs> wow did everybody else have like a really oh, no. pat answer? Oh, no, good, no, no. good. There, there's only been a few people that just immediately could say something. Okay. But but um, it didn't cause them the anxiety it causes me. There has been a couple people that this has stressed them out. And I did not <laughs> think it would. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's so hard. So, uh, so um, the other thing about my family is music has always been really important to mm-hmm. us. Um, so most times in my life, I remember around music. You know, so I remember, um, coming home from gymnastics when I was in grade school and there'd be no lights on except for the stereo lights and dancing on my dad's feet to country music. Right. Um, my mom was, um, is, uh, my parents were very, uh, um, a big part of the Inland Empire Blues Society since it started up. Um, and you know, so I remember dancing with her to, um, it's Ida Cox, but it's, um, Duffy Bishop's version of wild women don't get the blues. Mm. Um, you know, I remember after a couple of months before she passed away at my sister's wedding, uh, uh, with my sister and my mom and other family members, you know, dancing at, at her wedding to that song. Um, yeah. Uh, and speaking of, speaking of my mom, um, there's a local musician, Sammy Eubanks, who wrote a song for her. So if you're ever out and about and you hear Sammy play Light Shines On, that's for my mom because last name Lighthouser. So that's, that's it. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, so, you know, music, music means a lot. And, and, um, I was the kid in high school that had like all, I was out at thrift stores buying vinyl for music from the sixties and seventies. And so, so this, this song stresses me out because I, I don't think I have a theme song. I think it depends on my mood. It depends on what I'm, what I'm, uh, about to do for the day. Um, a couple of songs that came up, um, uh, Frank Turner's Four Simple Words. Mm-hmm. Do you know that song? Not at all. Okay. So that'll be stuff for you to look up, right? Uh, I really like that song because it's, it's actually a, a, a newer song, but, um, it has it reaches back to a little bit of sort of my punk roots as well. Um, so I think that that song, that's a song. I was trying to think of the songs. Here's how I did it. The songs that I have to turn up and will play all the way through or will stay in my car until they're done rather yeah. than coming in. So that, that was sort of what I, what I tried to narrow it down to. So that was definitely one. <clears throat> um, uh, Avett Brothers' Perfect Space mm. is another. You heard that one? I probably probably have. yeah because that's more yeah they're more they're more known mainstream. yeah I do. I yeah know. although the first time I saw them gosh where did I well now they're like big stadiums and stuff and are they well they like the gorge and stuff yeah, yeah. and the um I saw them at the the Sandpoint music festival yeah yeah no they were at Sandpoint and then before that because I saw them the first time in the Bing and then the Fox hmm. 
And then Northern Quest had them. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. I um, actually just listened to, to a podcast with them on, um, well, it's, uh, you made it weird with with Pete Holmes. Oh, I haven't heard that, but I will look it up because I, I do and like the Ava Brothers one is yeah. really awesome. They're just so great. The HBO special on them was great too. I can just sit there and listen to them talk heard. to each other. Yeah. So. <laughs> they're 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 pretty great. Um uh, and then um I uh I'm an Ani DeFranco fan. So uh I think Pick Your Nose is one of my favorite songs that I'll always stop and listen to. Um, I like, um, there's a song uh, that, uh, uh, so my husband and I have been, we'll be 20 years married this July. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, and at our 10th anniversary, uh, we had, because we had, we had a really small wedding in my parents' backyard. Uh, and so for our 10th anniversary, we rented the Fox. Oh, cool. Um, Sammy played. Right on. Uh, but we had different people uh, read different parts of, of our vows and then added a few. And one of the one of the songs we added uh, is an Anders Osborne song. Uh, so you'll have to look this up because no, nobody's heard of this here. But it's it's called Hody Cody Yalamala. Hody Cody Yalamala. That's the way my baby makes me feel is essentially. And so... He's, he's going through different things. And so so that's a song that I'll always stop and will bring a smile to my face thinking about my husband. Awesome. So I, I could have, like, literally, I, I was like, oh, my God, this question. I, I could say a million more, but I think that that's pretty good. I think that's great. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I the reason that I wrote this question is because I don't have one myself. <laughs> that's uh. so not fair. <laughs> but no, I'm, I, I'm in, in the exact same position as you. It. it uh, depending on the day, I completely identify with different songs. And I was, when I was driving over here, I was even thinking about it, just like, what well, I still cannot answer the question. Um, I have a couple of things that I think maybe more predominantly stick out, but there's no way that I can answer it. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, I'm, music is, like, in my blood. So I, yeah. I, can't, I can't say one song. Frank Turner makes me want to jump up and dance. And the four simple words are, I want to dance. So oh. that, that, you know, just that, um, I don't think I mentioned, I like it. There's a lot of, um, Southern blues rock that I, that I like. So JJ mm. Gray has a song when I'm like my sad song, my theme sad song is this river by JJ Gray. Mm. Um, you know, that, that song I, I always, when, you know, I just always, I just feel like, oh my gosh, that's, I could, I could be thinking those things. Yeah. Um, we used to, there used to be an old, uh, this might be too much information, but I'm going to share it anyway, no. cause I'm here and I've got a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, there used to be a band in town, uh, called the bone daddies. Yeah. I'm familiar with them. You do. Yeah, you know, the bone daddies. Okay. Um, and Zach is still around. He's actually drumming some for Sammy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, we were sort of, my husband and I were kind of obsessed with bone daddies. We'd follow them around. Um, uh, and, yeah. uh, at, um, after they would take a break, the mm-hmm. lead singer and guitarist, Eric uh, Munzner, would come out and he would play Life by the Drop by Stevie Ray Vaughan, mm. acoustic, basically, uh, and so that we could slow dance to it. Mm-hmm. And we would go out there and just be the only people on the floor slow dancing to it. We would pester him and make sure he played it. Um, but 
for he has since moved um, to California. I think he still plays some music, music, but he's also yeah. has a family and does some other some other work. But uh, for our 14th anniversary, I asked him and he obliged. Uh, uh, he recorded "Life by the Drop" for us oh, and cool. sent it up here for my husband and I <laughs> to listen awesome. to. So yeah, no, I mean, it just music music means so much for me. But it's it's um, it really captures different pieces. Yeah. So it's hard for me to think of an overarching theme song, uh, um, but it, it's all just so meaningful. Yes, it is. <laughs> that is wonderful. All right. Well, that wraps it up. Okay. Yeah. That was not so bad. No. Thank you, Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. Of course.